0: The following is presented by the Center for Political Innovation, CPI, Building American Socialism for the 21st Century. To learn more, visit CPIUSA.org. Lies, holding firm, refusing to back down. The great Jackson Hinkle, ladies and gentlemen. What's up, everybody? It's good to see you all. Big round of applause to Caleb Moffin and the Center for Political Innovation for putting this on. It's good to see so many normal people in here, you know? it's. No, I'm serious, I'm serious. Like you all are like very normal people. I used to be involved with all these lib groups. I was was an S-Lib for years and like, it was just like the weirdest people that I'd always see at events and stuff. I'm like, am I one of you? The answer is I wasn't. Um, I grew up in Orange County, California. It's a very like uh, affluent area. Everyone's white, pretty much. Uh, it's it's an interesting place to grow up. Um, my father, uh, he grew up in Jackson, Michigan. I was actually named after Jackson, Michigan, and his father grew up in Jackson, Michigan, and his father was a uh, he was a construction worker. So my grandpa he was a he was a construction worker. Before that. He fought Nazis in Europe. My my mother was born into a military family as well. Uh, her father, my grandpa, on that side of the family, he was uh, stationed at Pearl Harbor when when you know shit went down there, and he fought Nazis as well. So I have two really base grandpas, but. <laughs> The weirdest thing in the world now is that we have uh, we have like all these liberals and progressives who are trying to tell us that we should actually be supporting the Nazis in places like Ukraine and we should be supporting the free Syrian army that's you know bankrolled by the CIA in Syria. and we should be supporting. Uh, the radical extremists in uh, Xinjiang that are waging terror upon the civilians of China, who are just trying to improve their country. So, um, I want to start off my story there because, as as a young as a young kid growing up in Orange County, California, uh, I wasn't political. I wasn't political until I turned like 17 years old, and. Um, I was in Spanish class in high school and I was terrible at Spanish, but you know, you got to take like the one foreign language class and my, my Spanish teacher, he was a mentor of sorts to me and uh, I was a surfer growing up and he was a surfer and he's like, Jackson, you can't just surf your whole life like you have to contribute something to the world. And it was good advice. And I decided to start an environmental group in my local high school. It spread to, uh, like, eight, I think we had eight or nine or ten different chapters across the country. Uh, We got a massive uh, eight-campus solar power power project uh, put in in our school district. We got plastic water bottles, you know, taken out of our school district and stuff. It was all, like, very just, like, basic surface-level environmental stuff. And I thought that was, like, the cutting edge of, like, Oh, the revolution, like Joe Sims, like, good morning, revolution. Like, I thought, I, I thought that's where it was at, you know? And uh, for some reason, it just really wasn't, like, setting in for me. It, it just felt like there was always something more there that, that we needed to be doing, you know? Um, after that, you know, I, I got into this, like, liberal pipeline of, like, progressivism. I was on Nancy Pelosi's youth council. I was I was on, like, monthly meetings with her. It was crazy, and uh, 10 other kids. And uh, yeah, I was in the thick of it. And um, after that, I ran for city council in my hometown, uh, again, as a a liberal. And uh, it really wasn't until I started to delve in the world of like online politics, so to speak, that I started to get exposed to a different worldview, something that resonated more with my youth of just being Uh, A normal American that loved to surf, loved to hang out with my friends, loved my neighbors, wanted to improve my community, strengthen the bonds of my community, uh, make sure that our community was safer and a better place to live for everyone. And um, I started a YouTube show. And when I began the YouTube show, you know, I was kind of all over the place. I had some, like, very, like, liberal friends. I had some friends that were, like, Caleb, for example. And uh, Caleb w- won over my my heart and mind, you know, with with how he talked about American patriotism. He really did. He really did. And uh, I think if it uh, weren't for Caleb, you know, and and the ideas that we've all brought to the table here today, uh, patriotic socialism, anti-imperialism, Marxism-Leninism, um, I think that the state of politics in the United States would be pretty pretty damn depressing, right? Uh, we've been sold so many lies by the Squad, by people like AOC, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, all these figures, you know, they came in telling us, oh, we we take no corporate PAC money. That means we're good. That means we're good. Turns out they're still voting for targeted sanctions on all of these countries that are impacting, not just like innocent people, not just civilians, but the poorest people on the globe. That we as, you know, citizens of the United States, should be working with to uh, you know industrialize the world and help these people. Uh, the squad continues to vote for $1.9 billion increases in the Capitol Police and security budget. What happened to defund the police? <laughs> There's such frauds. And you know what they're using that money uh, at the Capitol Police to do now? They're using that money to set up covert operations within Capitol Police headquarters all across the United States not just limited to Washington DC, and they are actually uh, doing covert spying operations on people who they think may have been associated with January 6th. They call them radical political extremists, just like all of us. Yeah. That's why so many of us are getting censored off the internet right now. I'm sure there's probably many of you who are censored right now, or maybe have like a Russian state-affiliated media tagline on your Twitter accounts. Uh, what happened to the radical uh, the radical left that supposedly stands for free speech? I thought that was a principle of what we stood for. I thought we stood for free speech. Turns out that the squad and the progressives in Congress they would rather censor you all off the internet um, if you happen to point out that maybe they you know AOC wasn't in the Capitol building on January 6th and her life wasn't really a threat or if you happen to point out that uh, you know they they're, they're, they're uh, tools of the imperialists. They're tools of the deep state. They're tools of people like George Soros who are actually funding and bankrolling the political action committees that are funding their campaigns and operations. But no one wants to talk about that in the press. All the press wants to talk about, all Ryan Grimm wants to talk about, all the Intercept, Jacobin, all these people they want to talk about is shitting on the trucker convoys, uh, shitting on the true uh, American patriots that are actually trying to work for a better country and a better world and to uplift people like AOC who are selling us all out, okay? So that kind of brings me to uh, where we are at today with the current uh, conflict going on in Ukraine, uh, surrounding Russia. Now, one of the main things I like to do on my YouTube show uh, is go out and make fun of all of the, the, the weird people, as I put it at the start of the speech, who are selling us all lies about what's going on around the globe today. One of the biggest lies that I have seen circled on the media today is that Russia began this so-called invasion this week. That is the biggest lie I've ever seen. If you have an ounce, an ounce of like the history that has taken place over the past eight years, and we've all been alive the past eight years. I mean, it's it's not like anyone can plead ignorance on that. uh, You would know that it was actually the US and it was actually Ukraine who started all of the warmongering um, that is currently taking place in that region. After uh, Viktor Yanukovych was elected and he, he, he won his election uh, with a massive majority that couldn't be disputed by the likes of John McCain or Brzezinski anymore, any, any of those uh, figures, uh, Victoria Nuland, Jeffrey Piot. We saw something really interesting take place And I want to I want to focus on this because this is really the first time that I think we saw the age of multipolarity playing out right before our very eyes. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful because it makes people like Barack Obama, uh, you know, shake in their boots. So in 2014, uh, Yanukovych was leading the country. People call him a Russian puppet was with that? I mean, he's he's definitely like, uh, you know, he, he's neutral. He's sympathetic to both sides. He's He was for whatever was best for Ukraine. You hear on CNN and MSNBC, they talk about Yanukovych as if he's some Russian puppet. I can list you point after point after point of things that he did, which were actually in opposition to what Putin wanted him to do while he was leading the country. But they won't tell you that. They won't tell you that. All they'll point out is that He, for some reason, who knows why, he rejected the IMF loans that were trying to be given to his country. You know, the very generous IMF. It's not like they've screwed over countries ever in the past. And he made a decision that really pissed off a lot of Western imperialists. He made a decision. He said, you know what, IMF, you know what, EU, I don't really think this is for us. I think we're going to we're going to stall the negotiations right now. And I'm going to talk to Putin about how we could potentially open up trade relations with Russia. Now, that was devastating. That was devastating for the likes of Western imperialists who had put so much time and energy into making Ukraine their puppet state. I mean, listen, you guys ever think about, you know, all that hard work that Victoria Newland put in? <laughs> You ever, do you ever have like any emotions whatsoever? Are you guys just all like sick, cruel people that don't think about the, the hard work of Western imperialists? <laughs> Put so much energy into leading a coup in that country. I mean, come on. It was years and years of hard work. They funneled millions of dollars through the Soros Foundation. And now you guys just wanna say that they they don't get to run the country? Crazy, crazy. Um. But yes, that, that so he said he basically gave the middle finger to the IMF and the EU. And uh, there were some legitimate protests that took place uh, in, in response to this within Ukraine. And those protests were co-opted by the likes of uh, the Renaissance Foundation, uh, new media that was founded in Ukraine to basically bolster and co-opt these protests, which were called the Euromaidan protests. You've probably heard of them. Uh, violence came to the streets of Ukraine for the first time, distinguishing these protests from the 2004 color revolution that we were talking about a moment ago. Where did the violence come from though? It came from radical, ultra-nationalist, right-wing, um, you know, members of Ukrainian political factions, the OUN, right sector, Trident. Uh, these groups are led by the ideological inheritors of people like Stefan Bandera, who's a Nazi collaborator. Who played a major role uh, during World War II and the uh, Cold War in slaughtering hundreds of thousands of Soviets, Polish people, Jewish people in the most gruesome ways imaginable—disgusting stuff. And now today, you have progressive icons like Vosh who are saying, "I'm i I'm a, you know, Ukrainian anarcho-nationalist." It's insane the world we live in. But. Um, That all took place. Violence came to the streets of Ukraine and uh, we saw a coup take place. Some of these progressive icons that I've mentioned tonight will will lie to you and tell you that, oh, well, Yanukovych was democratically impeached. That's not true. Listen, I was really bad at math in high school. I was really bad at math in high school, but per my reading of the Ukrainian constitution, you need three quarters of parliament to impeach a sitting president. That means you need 338 votes. They only got 328 votes when they tried to impeach Yanukovych. And this was with the backing of Western Western pressures. They were taking over government buildings, private residences of Yanukovych. They were massacring people in the streets and they still couldn't manage to get three quarters of the parliament to uh, you know, be fear-mongered into voting for this guy's impeachment. A sad state of affairs or the Western imperialists, they can't even do that. Regardless, uh, Yanukovych had to flee Kiev. He went to the second largest city in Ukraine. Um, He didn't leave the country. He didn't leave the country. And in fact, he fled Kiev by helicopter. No one knew this at the time because he had received threats that his motorcade was gonna be shot. Turns out his motorcade left Kiev without him in it and snipers rained down on his motorcade. These are all things that the press won't tell you about what's going on in Ukraine. After this, they illegally took Yanukovych out of power. Uh, There was resistance that uh, formed in Eastern Ukraine, what we now refer to as the People's Republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. Turns out, ultranationalist neo Nazis don't really like that sort of uh, resistance taking place in Eastern Ukraine. So they launched a war upon these kind folk who were fighting for their sovereignty. Between eight years of this fighting, having started in 2014, uh, 14,000 people died. You saw the image that Caleb showed you earlier of uh, you know memorials for all of the children who have been killed in the fighting. In the past three years of the fighting in the Donbass, 81.4% of the civilians who were killed in this fighting happened to die on the side of the Donbass, of the Donetsk and Luhansk. So in the media, they phrase what's going on. And if they, if they do happen you know, to be nice enough to mention that there has been fighting in Ukraine over the past eight years, they'll tell you, oh, it was a war between Russia and Ukraine, and it was two you know, equal factions. No, this was asymmetric warfare. Thousands of civilians were slaughtered in their homes, on the streets, at their jobs, at kindergartens, at schools, in government buildings. Disgusting stuff, disgusting stuff. Or as we call it here in America, soccer championships. Uh, the Ukrainian nationalists sent in dozens and dozens and dozens of far-right uh, you know, trained militiamen insurgents uh, to go to Odessa, right when this, you know, national soccer championship was taking place. The next day they started creating chaos in the streets. They stormed the trade union house where there was a peaceful protest set up and they chased everyone who was protesting into the trade union house. The story doesn't stop there. They began throwing Molotov cocktails at the trade union house. They barred the doors. They barred the first story windows. They wouldn't let anyone out. Dozens and dozens of people either burned to death that day or they died jumping out of the third story windows to the floor. That's what the Ukrainian government is. That's what Western backing of the Ukrainian government and governments all around the world who have been couped by the West bring about. Okay, so this war did not start this week. Uh, This war is not some sort of a Russian invasion or Russian imperialism or anything like that. And there's many more reasons why. What is currently taking place with the current events are breaking out. But at the end of the day, um, the reason why this is all happening, and this is going to be the final point that I finish on here, is because of the age of multipolarity, okay? In response to the brutal assaults on civilians that the Ukrainian coup government launched, what did Russia do? They joined in with, uh, you know, the people of Crimea. There was a there was a sovereign uh, democratic election in Crimea to join the Russian Federation. Turns out uh, people were not in favor of, you know, staying under the leadership of the coup government. Ninety seven percent of the people voted to join the Russian Federation. Uh, That was really the first step into the age of multipolarity, I think, I think. Uh, Russia has again decided that they are going to take another further step into the age of multipolarity by recognizing Donetsk and Luhansk as people's republics. It was a beautiful moment. We all witness celebrations in the streets, fireworks in the sky. People were celebrating. People were celebrating. OK, the Western Empire is crumbling before our very eyes. OK, and as the last speaker just said, you know, it's going to be a, a, up to who can pick up the pieces of this empire, leverage the infrastructure that remains to build a better future that prioritizes working with the rest of humanity to build a future that is worth living in. The guy who's head behind me right now, Abraham Lincoln, his economic advisor was a dude named Henry Carey. And Henry Carey was super based. They won't mention him in your history books or anything like that, but he had this grand vision It's, it's really insane, right? He had this grand vision to industrialize the world with global superpowers. At the time he, you know, he mentioned, why not Germany? Why don't we industrialize the world with Germany? Why don't we build international trade routes that can benefit all of humanity? Rather than putting 850 military bases in, you know, countries all across the globe, rather than bombing eight different countries, uh, rather than dropping a bomb every 60 seconds on countries all across the globe, rather than doing targeted sanctions and broad sweeping sanctions against uh, civilians of countries all across the globe, why don't we actually work to build a better future with all of these people? It's a question that no one in the mainstream wants to answer because the answer is damning for all of them. The answer is, it obviously makes sense. It obviously makes sense. And that's why we here as American patriots need to stand united with those who are challenging Western imperialism. We need to stand united with Russia, the People's Republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. We need to stand united with China, with Syria. We need to stand united with uh, Iran and uh, Peru who's in the middle of a coup right now, a soft coup, we need to stand united with Bolivia. More importantly, we need to stand united with the people all across the globe, regardless of who their governments are, right? Whether they're Western backed or whether they are actively fighting imperialism. Uh, the last thing I wanna say here today is that um, as we look forward uh, and as we move forward, don't buy the lies from the press, even if it's like, you know, even if it's some people who most of the time get things right, you know, they're, they're People, people make mistakes all the time. Some of my favorite journalists this week have been tweeting out stuff saying, well, Putin could have done some other things. He could have negotiated with some other people. He could have done some other stuff before he did what he did. That's not true. They don't know this stuff. They're not in Putin's position, all right? Now, of course, I'm not like a guy who's going to stand to the end of time with world leaders and global leaders. They don't get to these positions without being somewhat corrupt and somewhat violent and somewhat brutal and so on and so forth, but... In the area we' are, in the era we are living in there's no room for excusing Western imperialism there's no room for condemning the people that are fighting against imperialism and we need to stand with all these people moving forward so thank you all for being here. I really appreciate it.